don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Um, for uh, this should be for the end of the week now. Um, so this would be a Friday episode, and I want to hit one that I've been sitting on for quite a while by uh, uh, Car Campant. A uh, Campant. Uh, his uh, tag up here is on BlockDelta.io. Is voluntary mess. And um, uh, if you re- you'll remember him from the Friends Against Government podcast, which you have not if you've not listened to the Crypto Chat episode um, I did with those guys, that one was really really fun. I really enjoyed that, and definitely encourage you to check it if you're a crazy libertarian anarchist guy like me and them. Uh, no doubt you will absolutely enjoy the show. Um, but unfortunately for the super Bitcoin nerds, uh, they do not uh, they do not spend every minute of every episode talking about Bitcoin, even though it is brought up uh, quite a bit. So <laughs> um, uh, with that, however, we are going to be reading his piece. Uh, again, this is a car campet and or and or voluntary mess. Uh, his article titled Bitcoin Blockade Runner. Of the information age and I really like this analogy for a couple of different reasons which I will get to in the commentary afterward but for now let's go ahead and jump in when goods don't cross borders soldiers will a powerful statement from the French philosopher Friedrich Bastiat to whom many Bitcoin enthusiasts trace their ideological roots. Just off of the coast of North Carolina during the Christmas of 1864, the Union had gathered the largest fleet of northern men-of-war ever assembled by the sovereign country of the USA. Fort Fisher, a massive fortification held by the Confederates, was built to protect the most important shipping port of the Mid-Atlantic to keep supplies coming into the newly formed CSA from their English and French allies, who had heavy economic interests in the productive plantations of the South. The Northern Brass knew that cutting off supplies to the rebelling South was critical in quashing the uprising and restoring the nation under a single authority, and it had become evident after the first several battles of the Civil War that the rebels under the command of General Robert E. Lee, were not going to go gentle into that good night. Enter the Anaconda Plan, a naval scheme hatched by Union General Winfield Scott. In order to slowly suffocate the ragtag squad that dared to upset the federal apple cart, the U.S. Navy employed a blockade outside of all rail-connected southern shipping ports the theory being that this would shut down the nascent nation via economic strangulation. No ship in and no ship out. Of course, nearly every major player in the Western Hemisphere had become addicted to the sugar, tobacco, and cotton coming out of the South and had something to say about these blockades. Hell no. 
The descent did not come in the form of a parchment scrawled with a feathery pen or an assembly of diplomats, but in the form of the blockade runner. These ships were built for two things, speed and capacity, in that order. Blockade runner captains operated on either an official basis for Britain and France under a letter of marquee or an unofficial basis as a pirate. In retrospect, these vessels look grotesque, frankenboats of a chronological mesh point between the tall ship era and the burgeoning steam vessels of the later 19th century, but they could fly. Back to Fort Fisher. It was Christmas of 64, and the Confederate rebellion was becoming long in the tooth, as was the Anaconda Plan. While the North had become more adept at chasing the blockade runners, they still couldn't stifle them. And in one night, under the grip of a dark southern night just off the coast of Wilmington, a runner came creeping in from Bermuda, its last port of call before a steady grip on the helm and a stiff upper lip were the only things separating the captain and a crew from Davy's locker. And so the ship sailed, ready to load up with goods for export to the many waiting parties and preparing to pass through the eye of the needle. Fort Fisher guarded the entrance to the Cape Fear River near the border of North and South Carolina. Protecting the necessary port from northern advance in order to keep the South stocked up for battle and liquid enough through export to maintain the war effort. The North knew this and had sent 125 heavily armed Navy men of war steaming and sailing from up and down the eastern seaboard to finally put an end to these roving profiteers who with steely resolve to confront the meat grinder head-on and keep goods flowing to and from the southern states. For weeks they sat, accumulating ships waiting for the next daring private captain to step into the ring. And finally one did on the night of December 23, 1864. As an ant approaches man, the young captain crept quickly and quietly through the choppy waters between Bermuda and Carolina, knowing the highest danger wasn't the Bermuda Triangle itself, but the fleet of northern vessels watching for his ship to attempt a breach. But breach he did, outrunning cannon fire, grape shot, small arms, and ordnance to jump the creek into the southern-controlled waters of the Cape Fear River, bringing much-needed supplies to the downtrodden locals and taking what they had in trade, the nimble steamer sailed once more through the northern naval wall. Despite the most tyrannical of efforts by authoritarian regimes, trade finds a way. In this instance, a black market formed between sovereign states rather than small private entities and actors, and the next chapter of the Bitcoin saga may feature this arrangement in a way that historically rhymes with the Confederate blockade runners. But instead of Frankenships, the new medium will be Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. We're seeing this begin to emerge in Venezuela as they are issuing a national cryptocurrency, the Petro, to help supplement payment to workers in the oil industry. Despite the quality of the protocol supporting the Petro, which I assume is as shoddy as anything else that regime touches, it represents an interesting new development. A possible temporary alliance between the individual and embargoed regimes worldwide who are looking to trade. 
If Venezuela can clear international payments for goods by using a cryptocurrency, how long before Cuba follows? Iran. Once the dam begins to crack and nations the world around see money-changing hands uncensored and unstoppable, how long before dominoes start to fall? The blockade runner of the information age won't be a young stowaway-turned-captain, but a series of ones and zeros that bust down the door to trade between nations and between people. And in so doing will eliminate walls between individuals within the revolting regime itself. It will cut the blood supply to any tyrannical nation seeking to put up walls between countries. And in poetic form, the blockade runners of today will ultimately turn on their masters, cutting off the blood supply to the very regimes that issued them letter of marquee. If you're like me, there's not much that makes the heart beat faster with human pride than a gang of privateers flaunting the grip of authority under the penalty of death apocalyptic horsemen of the merchant class. As a lover of history, rebellion, and an ever-weirdening timeline, I salute the 21st century blockade runners. May they never give up the ship. And there we have it. That was Voluntary Mess with uh, Bitcoin, blockade runner of the information age. Uh, but there's something... Uh, really, uh, that, that I love about the analogy of a blockade runner, um, because here it's, because we're talking about the free flow of money and trade, um, it's really interesting what these, uh, this, is, this is our challenge here. When governments, or like let's say the Chinese government, puts up the great firewall of China and decides what people can see, what people can trade, what people can say and uh, share with each other, only through encryption and obfuscation can you actually get around that. That's the blockade running of today. But what's interesting is that these boats were optimized for capacity or speed and capacity in that order and that's a very interesting thing because that's what we need to be designing bitcoin for that's the whole idea of the small block argument is carry massive amounts of capacity carry incredible value but do so with as little data as possible so that you can obscure the entire process and squeeze it through the tiniest hole in their wall and that's why, that's why you don't have gigabyte or terabyte blocks, because that, that's the end of it being a blockade runner. As soon as you have to wait for the Chinese government to say, okay, this can change hands or make it through the wall, then you've, you've eliminated the use case. You've killed the independence. You've put the, the real-world boundaries of nation-states and jurisdictions back up into the Bitcoin network, and we can't have that. Consensus must be global. Otherwise, Bitcoin has failed. But with as simple as a cellular connection that makes it across that firewall, with a radio signal, with a satellite signal that's pumping the tiny amount of, you know, 1.5, 2 megabytes, whatever the block size or block weight is at the time, that can squeeze through the wall, that can get through the cracks in the naval blockade. And because the 
Bitcoin network is nimble, is light, it can move quickly and it can fit through any holes and streams in the entire data system. Any crack anywhere can filter through the stream of data that allows us to have consensus on a global level still. The fact that the thing can be designed that way and carry as much capacity as possible. Imagine if you could have one of these blockade runners carrying gold, but the gold didn't weigh anything and you could have a practically an infinite amount of it. Like you could have as much gold as there was the value of gold. You could carry it all on one ship. That's what Bitcoin is. It's that in the digital age. And I just thought those were really fun um, uh, analogy. And I also enjoyed his article. Uh, thanks, Carr. I'm sure you're listening to this. Um, uh, thanks for writing this one just because I, I think it's kind of neat. And it's written in a very story-like um, uh, mode. Uh, it's funny because like I, I read almost all the stuff that I read up here is technical. Um, but what actually got me starting reading uh, out loud was that my wife would have me read to her. Um, is Well, first, I love to talk, so that's easy. Um, but uh, I actually started all of this just reading books to my wife. Just uh, The Name of the Wind, I think, was the first one uh, we dove into. If you're a fantasy fan, uh, holy crap, read that book. Um, it's absolutely remarkable um uh, it's one of the things that uh, after college got me back into reading a lot actually uh, before bitcoin kind of took over my life but because of that i really enjoy reading one that uh, does have that story element to it and that that's what this one was and i thought it was really fun uh, i hope you guys enjoyed it thank you car for uh, uh writing this article um and uh and thank you for the analogy, because I thought it was cool, and it actually helps to express the reason that we should design Bitcoin around speed, agility, and censorship resistance in all corners. It needs to be that blockade runner that no matter what the state or uh, authoritarian regimes or any large company, corporation, anybody seeking to prevent it from work, no matter what they throw at it, it can still squeeze through the tracks, through the cracks. It can still squeeze through the cracks. So, uh, yeah, that will close today's episode. Um, uh, don't forget to check out the Friends Against Government podcast. Uh, it's a hilarious show, and they have all kinds of people up there. Um, myself included. Uh, don't miss. Uh, you can. I'll link back to the episode where I went on the show um, and got talked to Carr about Bitcoin and Bird about movies. <laughs> so uh, check that one out. And uh, yeah, I will link to their show. I'll link to the BlockDelta.io page here with the full article if you want to check it out. And uh, of course, I will tag Carr in the post as well so that you can find him on Twitter and follow him and check out. Uh, all the stuff they are doing over there. All right. Uh, don't forget to follow me at The Crypto Economy on Twitter, Mastodon, and Medium. I am in all of those places with the same tag. Uh, how uniform of me. And uh, check out the website, CryptoEconomy.life. Uh, there has not been any work on it probably in the last week and a half because I am still out of country uh, as of this episode. And um, so uh, if 
hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to get the automatic posts don't work very well. So I usually edit them a little bit, but I imagine I should have, I should be able to squeeze out the time to get those posts to work. So if you wanted to leave any feedback on this episode or any of the other ones, uh, that's a great place to do it. Uh, don't judge me. The website is still beta, still a lot of kinks to work out. Um, but I just wanted a place to send people so that we could have a chat about this. And if you wanted to make suggestions or uh, share any thoughts with me, that's a really good place to do it. So check it out, cryptoeconomy.life. And if you would like to support the show, uh, you can always leave me feedback on iTunes and share this with all your friends or people you know who are interested in learning about everything in Bitcoin. Uh, that's why I'm doing this is to try to get all the audio out there so that people can consume this. It's wonderful to be able to just grab any audio book that you want on any topic, but we don't seem to have that for articles and just the ocean of awesome discussion content on cryptography and Bitcoin and uh, the philosophy and libertarianism, all this stuff that's critical to how it works and why it works uh, is just out there, but everybody just doesn't have the time to read it. So that's why I'm doing this. And if you can point them in my direction so that they can hear all of this stuff, that would be a wonderful, wonderful help. And of course, if you would like to donate to keep this thing running so that I can continue to make all of these crypto quick reads or audio articles, uh, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> uh, so if you would like to donate, I will obviously have my Bitcoin address available as always. And you can find it. I just got to put a QR code in the sidebar on the website. Um, so it's always there if you uh, do ever feel like uh, contributing. Uh, that's a huge, huge help. It keeps my coffee cup full and it keeps the lights on in the house. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that will be it. Uh, don't forget, I've always got my affiliate link. If you're trying to get your treasure, uh, use my affiliate link and you'll still get the treasure at the same price, but you'll send a couple bucks my way and, you know, help out the show uh, and it won't cost you anything. So with that, thank you guys so, so much for listening I will see you after the weekend. I'm pretty sure this is episode Friday, so uh, I'll see you after the weekend. Uh, back with another week of the Crypto Economy Podcast. Take it easy, everybody.